welcome to the Your Dream or Mind podcast, the place to be if you dream of living a life of fulfillment, freedom, flow, and most importantly, fun. I'm Laura Cruz, the Dream Transition Mentor, the creator of the unique six-step Dream Transition Method, which will take you from idle daydream to transitioning into your wildly successful freedom-based business. Listen to inspirational stories from women who have been brave enough to take the leap from corporate and now live the life they've always dreamed of. Women like you and me. They did it, I did it, and you can too. Grab a cuppa, find a cosy spot, then sit back and enjoy the episode. My guest today is Ali Harris, who... um, is a counsellor and a psychotherapist and also runs the Facebook group, The Mental Health Space for Mums. Now, I met Ali um, probably about April, May time last year when I was actually going through a bit of a, a difficult patch in my life. And uh, Ali and I are part of the same kind of community. I put a post up asking for a bit of advice and Ali said did I want to have a cup of tea on zoom with her and uh, and we did and I just loved her approach and so we decided to work together in a kind of therapy situation and it was absolutely fantastic and I Ali I honestly credit you with getting me out of a hole that I wasn't able to climb out of myself so did the work (laughs) so thank you so much and welcome to the podcast yeah thank you for having me so um as I said, it was uh, it was a lovely kind offer that got us talking, and I just love your your approach. I think you've just got I don't know you've got to connect obviously with the person that you're talking to, yeah. and I just think we do we connect. I love your energy. So tell us about how you got started in this business of what you do. Is it something that you did from kind of leaving school, A levels, uni, etc.? Absolutely not. So I I came from a kind of hothouse education background. So went to private school and it was all like, you know, get the best grades you can, go to the best university you can, and then be a banker and be evil, take over the world. So I did the first part of that and, you know, went to university and dropped out a few times, actually. It wasn't really my thing, but everyone was telling me that's what I had to do. So by the time I actually graduated, I did English, um, English literature at university. By the time I finished, there were no jobs that I was interested in. It was all very boring. So I ended up working in recruitment. Oh, my God. (laughs) It was horrible. I hated it. Um, It was like a very salesy. I mean, you know, for people that like that environment, that's grand. But I hated it. And so I plugged away at it and then thought, I know it'll be so much easier if I have a baby. Because I was married by this point, you know, after a little while. But that'll be easier because no one had told me that will be the hardest thing you ever do in your life. Right. So I had a baby and then a bit of a mental breakdown, not an official one. But um, it was like I found having a baby was a bit like having a hand grenade go off in my life. I thought it would give me a purpose and it would be easy and I'd have something to love. Yeah, all those people laughing. I'm with you, 100%. Really dumb idea. So then I realised, like, oh, my mental health is in the toilet. I need to do something about this. So I tried, like, self-help books and all kinds of things, and it didn't work. And then somebody once, very kindly, at a toddler group, I just said something about how I was feeling, and she goes, maybe you should talk to somebody. Right. <laughs> she was quite right. Thank her. I don't know. Her name was Lisa. Lisa, if you're out there, thank you. That was very good advice. Yeah, Lisa, that was life-changing <laughs> advice. It was. It genuinely was. So I started going to counselling and I was kind of like, oh, I've actually been depressed like my entire life and I didn't know. That's a bit surprising. And so I wanted to put myself together for the sake of my child and then children. I've got three now. And as I was doing this therapy and feeling better, I was like, 
I quite like this, I could do this. And it was kind of a use for my English degree. Because when you get a degree in English, everyone goes, oh, you're going to be a teacher. I'm just like, no. I've got a degree in English. And, yeah, and I, Did everyone tell you to be a teacher? Yeah, and I was going to do a PGCE. And I was I was mm. had a place and then I dropped out the month before because I thought I didn't want to do that. I've been asked in interviews why I didn't become an English teacher or a teacher. There you go. I don't know why people... But the thing is, what I like about counselling is the subtext of what people say. So they just say like, whatever's on their mind and actually if you read into it a little bit you know like you don't try and force a meaning but actually if you really learn to listen to the subtext you're like oh okay so that's what you're saying and you're smiling and you're saying you're fine but actually the words you're choosing you know like sort of analyzing a poem or something for GCSE A level whatever and you're like okay so your 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 face says this and your voice says this but your tone says this and your body language says that so I just kind of thought oh this is actually a genuinely good use for my English degree I love that and sort of started started training to do it, but it took a long time. It took me ten years uh, because three children. I had a child while I was training. You have to sort of fit it in. You have to get all your hours, and it's quite rigorous. Um, so it took a long time, but um, but yeah. So that's how. It, and by the time I finished, uh, my marriage was falling apart <laughs> quite spectacularly. And so by the time I was finished, I was like, I need to be able to pay my half of the mortgage and my half of three kids. I need to. So failure was not an option. <laughs> and so that's what, by the time I finished, it was literally, okay, do or die. And so I decided to do this dying stuff. That's such an amazing story. Wow. So <laughs> <It's full on. laughs> the thing I've got, the thing that strikes me about that is the 10 years of, of the training, because I think lots of people listening would go, Christ, 10 years, that's like, it's not supposed to take 10 years. It's but the training I did, I'm uh, trained in psychodynamic counseling. That was my sort of grounding. And that takes, that's usually sort of a slightly at the academic end. The really academic end is like analysis, you know, like Freud on a couch. They see people between two and five times a week, and it's all very how do you feel? It's all a bit intimidating <laughs> for me. The psychodynamic is slightly warmer than that, but it's not quite as fluffy as you know humanistic counselling or the other kind of person-centred counselling but in my opinion has slightly more depth but of course those counsellors would fight me with, with, with floppy sticks but they would fight me that's not true that's not true so different kinds of counselling kind of don't always get along that well together but I would say I'm at the fluffier end of the psychodynamic scale like I'll smile at you and talk to you like you're a person um, I can vouch for that you definitely yes. do smile and talk to people like talk to clients like they're a person yeah, so, yeah the tendency of psychodynamic counselling is to take itself a bit seriously so it's very like you're trying to be a blank screen. But um, I did that when I was supposed to do that, but it's not really me. So private practice is an opportunity for me to do it properly, ethically, you know, properly, but also my way. I've got a great supervisor who's who's very cool. And she's like, you know, you've learned to do this. She said, you know, now feel free to do it and be you. Um, and that's kind of my message to people, to clients, really. People come to counselling and they're like, oh, fix me. Because, you know, they're in crisis. Of course they need. They leave it and they leave it. And they leave it a bit more. And then when they're just hanging on by a thread, they're like, oh, we ought to get some counselling. And they say, quick, make me better. But the lesson is actually you're, you don't need to be made better. The things that are a problem are things other people put into you, whether they put, you know, whether it's social messages about how you should look, how you should dress, how you should live your life, how you should feel, whether parents have given you explicit or implicit messages. So actually the process is not making you better. It's pulling out all the crap other people have put into you. And giving you a sense of yourself as being full of agency and creativity and worthiness. That's what fucks people up, is, is feeling unworthy and not good enough and like a bad person. Mm. 
So interesting. So the type of counselling and therapy that you do then, because you've, remind me what it was you do? Psychodynamic. It sounds fancy. It's just, the main difference is, okay, is it's sort of predicated on the idea that the unconscious is, is, is kind of, you know, at the root of most of the bad stuff that's going on in your life. So you think, you know, so for example, like all the stuff that we know we should do, like this is basic, right? Eat right and exercise. If you ask anybody, they know how to eat right and exercise. Who is doing that? So that, <laughs> not that yes. I see that, by the way, but I'm just saying. So it's the difference between like, I know I should do X. And then like, I know I should leave my, um, my you know, my horrible marriage. Ten years still there. It's the, yes. it's the thing. What do you do when you have this inertia that gets in the way between what you want to do and actually doing it? And in that space where other people get pissed off with you and say, I can't hear about this anymore shut up about it if you're going to leave him leave him if you're not not I can't deal but yeah. actually that's the space I work which is the unconscious gunk that's stopping you that's stopping you from doing it and it's stuff thoughts feelings experiences ideas that as soon as you have them you push them into your unconscious and they float around in there but they exert a pressure so you push it down and it pops up as like addiction or a strange behavior or anxiety depression all of these things are usually a result of denial of reality and a, and a desire to kind of hide from the truth of who you are or what's happening to you. So they're all defense mechanisms, but when a defense mechanism uh, stops being a good thing is, is when it actually creates more problems than it solves. And so it's trying to unpick those. So psychodynamic counseling kind of says the unconscious, we're trying to make the unconscious conscious. So as soon as we find out whatever it is that you're running from, we can kind of look for clues in what you say and what you do and the relationships you have we're trying to kind of pull them from unconscious into consciousness so if you know for example i'm not saying you <laughs> contents of all your sessions are confidential but for example a person who has a problem with authority we can look at your relationships in the past in the present between us and we can kind of look for clues like how did this come to, you know to be and then you go oh maybe somebody had like a really authoritarian mother and so every teacher every boss Every, I don't know, police officer takes on this mantle of this, you know, this mum. And then suddenly you're reacting to somebody as if they're your mum. So once you bring that into consciousness, you know, like, oh, people in authority are going to remind me of my mum. I have to remind myself, this is not my mum. You deal with your mum, either with your mum or the ideas and the things that happened. And then you can stop transferring onto every person in authority these kind of mum-like attributes. So lots of people relate to people in their lives as if they're somebody you know mm. before and so it takes a while to work this stuff out that's why people say to me like what's your process and I'm like I don't know <laughs> I don't have one <laughs> because it, it is it's kind of it, it's couture therapy has to be couture the only thing that everyone has to do is they don't, have, they don't even have to actually in the first after the initial chat the first session is well you know it's tell me your life story and um people don't have to do that but that just helps me work out what what ideas and beliefs and experiences shaped you? How did you come to know what men do, what women do, what family means, what you deserve, what you don't deserve? It's just like an intro. Um, so that's useful. But then after that, I go where you go. And what I found really fascinating about that first session that you and I did is you said some stuff to me about some stuff that happened earlier in my life that I'd never connected. Yeah. You, the, your observation about what I'd said was so fascinating. I'm a real reflector and a thinker and, you know, I've had 
you know, counseling and stuff over the years. So I do, I do delve into that stuff, but you made me think of something that I'd never thought of before. And I went That's away thinking, idea. wow, that was really, wow. Okay. Interesting. Cause I just hadn't ever thought of it like that before. That's what you need though, isn't it? It's cause it's not like you couldn't work that out for somebody else, but sometimes you need an outside pair of eyes. Yes. Looking for something different. Cause otherwise you just see what you always expect to see. Like I used to sometimes, I had ADHD, so it's not as leaving the house when I was younger. I've got it under control now, but I was undiagnosed and didn't know. So I would leave up little notes for myself telling myself to do stuff. But I got so used to seeing the little notes telling myself to do stuff that I would just walk right past them. Is that sometimes if you see it every day, it doesn't mm. speak to you in the same voice that someone else would. So mm. it's not that I, I'm not like, sometimes people expect me to kind of say something wise and Yoda-like, and I'm like, <laughs> no, that's not really going to happen, sadly. <laughs> It would be great. I would love to be a little green Jedi master. That would be awesome. But sadly not. But it's just sometimes having the opportunity to hear your own words back to you in a different way. Yes. Yeah. 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 And I had a lot of that. I had to have, I had 10 years of therapy. When you're training for psychodynamic counseling, you have to be in therapy. Mm. And I would always say that if you're looking for a therapist, ask them how much therapy have you had yourself? Because I wouldn't want to work with someone who hadn't had a lot of therapy. Because otherwise their own prejudices are going to get in the way yeah. of work. You need to kind of have your own demons done and dusted before you start. Because what happens is people, I don't know if you've encountered this or ever felt this, but people that want to help other people are usually dealing with other people's problems so they can avoid their own. I don't want that person as a therapist. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'd never thought of that. I never thought about the kind of asking around how much therapy. Yeah, interesting. My first question, whenever my friends or family or anybody wants to go to therapy and they ask me and I'm like, okay, so I want you to ask them how much personal therapy yeah. they've had. Yeah, that's because it seems important because I've worked with people, you know, who are therapists who are like, I've never had therapy before, so I thought I'd better do it. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Say what? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not saying unequivocally it's wrong, but it's my opinion um, that that seems not a good idea. Mm. But I mean, other people can disagree and that's that's absolutely cool I love the way you said about how you know through your training and they kind of train you to do it like this and to be quite serious and not that you're not serious but you know to be quite kind of poker face and stuff like that and then your supervisor said just do it your own way I think there's there's so much about kind of life in that isn't there we get kind of get trained and like you said about your kind of journey to you know school university you know Mm -hmm. job that kind of um conveyor belt that we, we get on that actually yeah. you don't have to do it the same way everybody else does and just bring your no. own personality and experience and skill to that situation yeah. but I can also see where they were coming from from the point of view that actually you know when you're learning to drive you have to have your hands at 10 and 2 and keep mm. you know, relentlessly checking and that's the thing like having done it the way I was supposed to do it for 10 years I feel like it's okay to experiment, but you don't want to tinker with too much. I mean, it feels like, you know, there's something, so for example, self-disclosure, you're not supposed to chat too much about yourself. That didn't seem like it was going to work well from a marketing point of view. Um, <clears throat> I think people, they want to kind of get a sense of who you are and what you're like. So I'm splashed all over my marketing. I'm very much like this. That's how all my content is me, the way I talk. And so there is self-disclosure. Um, and I feel perfectly comfortable with that because it still feels boundary in the sense that I don't talk about anything I'm not willing to talk about. And when in a session, the client wants to keep talking about me, that's fine. But then I guess we have to come back to, so this is your session and we're talking mm. about me. So what, what is that curiosity about me about? 
So it's yes. not very friendly. So it can be very punitive. Like, you know, in a proper psychodynamic, you'd say, you know, like, you could say something like, oh, did you have a nice holiday? And the person would be like, it's like, oh my God, it's so scary. <laughs> they just wouldn't. Like, my therapist was like, deadpan, cold as a witch's tip. Bless her. Put up with me. Cold as a witch's tip. That was her way. That's the way that she was taught. She came from a very good school of, you know, she came from the Tavistock, which is a very venerable institution. And that yeah, is her know. way. But if I had not been a counsellor in training, I could not have handled that. I mean, could you, when you're in distress, could you go in front of somebody who's just like, well, no, and that's what I said when we did our our initial, like, just have a cuppa and a chat on Zoom. I warmed to you because of your energy and the way that we talked and the way that we communicated. And, and I thought, oh, I'd like to work with you. I wouldn't have done that if it had been no. cold. No. And yeah. What do you get then from what you do, Ali? What's your if you could say like what your big why is? <clears throat> like, What's your why? Well, I'll be honest, the first why was, oh, look, work I can do around my children. That's quite good. You know, um, as a person with ADHD, I can't do anything I'm not interested in. ADHD people are very focused on the thing that they love. Try and teach them or get them engaged in something they don't love. And they're looking out the window. They're doing something else. So it had to be something I love. Um, I, having worked for so many jobs, I really hated uh, it has to be something that I love doing. So I love doing this. I know what it's like for me to feel like your life is broken. You're never going to be anything other than anxious, depressed, and a bit of a fuck up. I felt like that for most of my life. So it was really a revelation to realize that you can take control of all the bad shit that happened to you and actually make a life. You know, like I, I'm pretty happy. It's not like my life's so amazing. You know, on many levels, my life is worse. You know, like my, I have to, I'm schooling three cent children and I'm getting a divorce, but I'm happy, genuinely, hand on my heart every day, not because my life's all bells and whistles, but because life is manageable now. And that's the thing. Mm. That's it can't make your life better. It can't change your external circumstances, but it can change the way you feel. Yeah. And if everything feels manageable, there's nothing that can stop you, really. You just go, like, oh, yeah, shit's going to happen, and I'll bounce back. I will manage. And um, that's the opposite of anxiety and depression. Depression says, what's the point? And anxiety says, I have to try and control everything, and I can't control everything, and I'm going to die. So being mm, able to mm. manage and helping people to do that. So it was amazing enough for me to be able to sort of facilitate that in myself. But then helping other people to do that is amazing. Whether you work with them for, you know, like six weeks, six months, six years, some people, whatever, whatever they need, people go at their own pace. And um, to help people make that change in themselves, because the people are helping them to be self-empowering because someone said, oh, you've empowered me. And I'm like, I haven't. I haven't. Yeah. I've, I've led you along a certain path in the hope that along the way you will self-empower because that's the whole point. It's disempowering to be empowered. You have to do it for yourself. I think something in there is about permission, isn't it? It's almost if somebody else yes. says to you, somebody independent says, oh, you could do that. Or, you know, and they go, oh, mm. Ali gave me permission to do that. Yeah, exactly. So I'm interested in what you said about how you want to make sure that you're doing work that you kind of love. So if I dare ask you, what yeah. about if you get a client and you're not very interested in like them or their story? Do you ever get that? That hasn't happened yet. But that's why I do the free because most counsellors that I know of, the max you'll get is 20 minutes, half an hour if you're lucky. Um, I give offer everyone a free 60 minutes because I need to know if I'm going to work with somebody, can I care about you? Mm. And so far, the answer has been a resounding 100% yes. But 
if I met somebody that I felt like I couldn't work with, or maybe they are exhibiting signs where I think actually you need something more than what I can give or mm. something different, then to be able to then take in that information and think, okay, let me think who I can refer you to. Because, you know, it'd be arrogant to assume you can work with everybody. Yes. You can't. But I mean, you know, that's the thing is people, people pay for my time. I have expertise. I'm not the expert, but you can't, you can't really buy affection. And in counseling, it's a relationship. People mm. get hurt in relationships and um, the healing is usually relational. That's why self-help books are great up to a point. Um, and, and Insta therapy and all that stuff is brilliant. I love it. But generally you need a relationship. And so it's not just what I say or what the other person says. It's a relationship. Yes. The relationship we have is real. And although it's boundaried and professional, it's real. I can't work with people I don't care about. I wouldn't do that to them. They deserve to be cared about. Everyone does. Mm. Yeah. And I guess as you know, uh, and I'm not comparing what you do with coaching, but it's the same thing, isn't it? I, I, similar, I've got to have similar. a connection. Yes. And I I've got to want similar. the best outcome for that person. Yeah. I've got to care about where they're moving mm. towards. And if we don't gel in the initial, you know, like I call it a clarity yeah. call, if we don't gel there, it's not going to work. No, and I think actually there's lots of crossover. I think a lot of therapists are quite hostile to coaching um, for lots of interesting reasons, actually. I think a lot of it's to do with a really poor money mindset, if I'm honest, in a lot of therapists. We're trained to work for free for fucking years. I did work for free for 10 years to get my... Mm. Or everyone else in the organisation gets paid, but not the counsellors. So we come up with a shocking money mindset, whereas coaches are quite up there going... Yeah, I'm doing this. Pay me X amount, you know. And counselors are like, who do you think you are? Yeah. So I think I'm someone that deserves money. Do you need some money mindset help there, love? <laughs> and I think yes, they do. Resoundingly, they do. Yeah, yeah. I've had lots of coaching um, uh, from various different coaches, and I've definitely absorbed that into the way I work. Because counselling can be all like, oh, the past. How do you feel? And it's like, well, that's great, and that'll get you so far. But then you think, okay, the past. How do I feel? The future, what will I do? Yes. I think I've kind of incorporated that. So it's still grounded very firmly in a therapeutic stance. But I think I've taken on a lot of the sort of yeah. ways that have helped me and kind of assimilated that into the way that I work so that it's not just like, oh, you'll feel, but also how would you like to feel? Where yes. What's stopping you? And that's, I mean, that's exactly what I would say because people, I think people often get confused as well about what the distinction, it's like, well, yeah. The way I describe it is counselling and therapy, you're looking back and coaching, you're looking forward. And I'm not trained in that. So sometimes I signpost people to people like yourselves who need because that's what they need. They don't need they don't need looking forward. First of all, they need to look back to see what's going yeah, on. Exactly. People say like, draw a line in the sand, leave the past in the past. And I'm like, show me how. Because I've not met anyone that can do it. Easier said than done. <laughs> How? You know, yeah. come, come now and demonstrate that for me because I'd really like to see someone do it. I'll be out of business, but that's fine. I'd love to know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. So your Facebook group, uh, the Mental Health Space for Mums, what is it about working with mums then that kind of made that your focus or your niche for your group? I'll be completely honest with you. I was working uh, with Gemma Gilbert. I was doing her um, 5K, 5K was, program. And she said, you have to have a Facebook group. You have to niche. She made me. Mm. And I said, I can't. God, don't make me choose. Don't make me choose. I love all my clients. She said, no, you have to. And I'm like, I don't want to. But in the end, I, 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 she was right. It was okay. It was fine. And I noticed that most people I work with are mums. Um, certainly, I know what it's like to, to struggle with motherhood, to feel like a toxic mum, 
a lot of mums are thinking like, oh God, you know, do I need do I need HRT or a divorce? They're not sure. Mm. Am I a toxic mum? Are my children evil? You know, like what's going on? No one really, the, the amount of free emotional and physical labour that women, especially mums, do, how undervalued we are as a kind of bunch of people. And we're always the last, you know, the last. Yes. The last to get a hot beverage, the last for everything. And I just yeah. actually, if I'm going to serve any group of people, it's going to be mums. They make up about 80% of my clients. And I think, yeah, so it's not that I prefer mums. Like I do work with people who are like, for example, male or female and, and not mothers. They are in my business too. It's not like I say, no, you've not created children or adopted anything. <laughs> get out. Not that at all. It's just that I noticed that there are lots of groups for mums, but it's always like, coming at them like parenting tips do this do that lose weight and I'm just like come as you are it's yes. fine <laughs> we're very accepting come for some support feel free to kind of just rant and what do you think of this and you know how can we help you that kind of thing rather than kind of get this do that do this do that because I think we get enough of that so yeah I was I was forced to it but I think it was a good thing so thanks Gemma and it's Gemma's group that we met that's how yes. that's that's how we met but yes yeah, very all about niching and that's uh, it's hard though, isn't it? Because it's something I struggled with. Because you feel like I want to help everybody. Yeah, but you then, couldn't. If everybody came to you, you'd be screwed, wouldn't you? You'd have like queues around the door, and you wouldn't be able to help everybody. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's that whole thing about you, your messaging, and how you are able to. And obviously, like you, you know, you are you're such a regular poster in your group and on your page and stuff like that. And that content is obviously geared towards what mums would. Yeah, generally. There are, there's a couple of non-mums in the group secretly hiding, but they're like, can I come in? And I'm like, yeah, fine. But this is geared to mums. As long as you're not going to be like, ooh, why is it all about mums? I'm like, because it will be. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but that's fine. So if you think about your business journey then, where where would you say you are in it? Are you kind of, <laughs> are you settled in business? Are you, you know, so. are you, have you like found your, I hate this word, but groove? Or are you, you know, like, where yeah. is it? I think so. I mean, I have got other things I want to do, but there's only so many hours in the day. I think if I wasn't homeschooling, I would be able to do a lot more. So I've got, I was blogging more, but then everyone decided to stay at home. So that went out the window. And I wanted to do some sort of um, in-person or online kind of women's circles. Because what I noticed is a lot of my clients are lonely. Like they've got friends on the school run. They've got friends, but no one to really talk about stuff with between sessions. Yeah. And this sense of not having a community where you can trust that people will know how to listen. So it's more like focusing on how do you support someone who's bereaved? How do you, what do you say? What are you afraid of? What makes you say the dumb, stupid shit that people say to bereaved people? Like, they wouldn't want you to suffer. How do you know? <laughs> they might really want everyone to suffer. Yeah. And, you know, if people say all these stupid things because they're uncomfortable. So yes. kind of moving things, it wouldn't be like group therapy. But I'm, I'm, so I'm doing some, some sort of circle training at the moment with a lovely lady called Sally. And we're doing that. And I think, you know, just because I never really tried to facilitate a group space in person. But just li- little small groups, not a group course or anything like that, but just something people can show up to once a month and just say, I'm feeling crap. So it's been sort of a third psychoeducation, a third socialising and a third just place to be supported and kind mm. of chat about how you feel. So not group therapy, but so I'm looking at doing that. But mainly, yeah, I'm just mainly seeing clients, to be fair. Uh, that's the main thing. I am looking more at, um, because, you know, all my kids have SEN and I have uh, ADHD, definitely. I'm noticing a lot of people, a lot of neurodiverse people that don't know that they have, they are autistic or ADHD or rocking up therapy. 
And then it's been, I have very good, it's like gaydar for Sen. I don't know, there isn't another <laughs> word for it. I, I, I can't think of what it is. Sendar just sounds weird. But again, not, not boasting, but everyone that I've kind of gone, you seem neurodiverse to me, who's gone for diagnosis, I've been right. So I'm not saying, you know, like I'm mystic meg of neurodiversity, not at all. But actually, um, I've got people I've been working with who, since they've gone for diagnosis, they've tried ADHD coaches and come back to me and said, I'm going to keep working with you. He said, because the ADHD coach didn't say anything you didn't say, plus you do all the therapy stuff too. Yes. A lot of people who are, you know, trying to mask, who are trying to be neurotypical uh, when they're not, it really makes your self-esteem and sort of elements of shame. It's really bad for you, like emotionally. So a lot of neurodiverse people who don't know they are show up for therapy. So taking that on as a specialty and doing extra training. It's like your next niche then. Yes, it is. I have a new website coming and so I've got um, the lovely Beth writing copy for that and Jessica's doing the website. That's coming. So yeah, and also I'm going to be offering um, private practice um, coaching to other therapists because we are trained to work for free and to basically expect to earn no money. I've got friends, colleagues, excellent counsellors who earn like fuck all. And they work basically for free or for nothing. And I think it's disgusting. It's not their fault. It's just that we're not. We, I was told regularly, you'll never make a you know good money out of counselling. It's a calling. It's so why? Like, what? This is what it, it, it behooves them to tell us this, because it means that we'll keep working for them for like nothing. Right. OK. Or for very little. So, for example, I don't know what it's like now, but the organisation I was trained at, you could... You had to do your first two clients for free. And then after that, they'd pay you £15 an hour, which is a scandal. These are all highly trained, worked for years, qualified up the wazoo counsellors who are dealing with all kinds of trauma. And they say, oh, no, private practice, you'll never earn any money. You'll be all on your own. It's not safe. It's not good. So we're kind of, they, they kind of train a terrible money mindset into us, mm. a sense of <clears throat> not being good enough. And so... Yeah, so I've spoken to a lot of people who qualified after me. And actually, to be fair, the organization I used to work, um, train, you know, train at and work for, they did ask me a year after I launched my private practice, they invited me back to talk to students about how to set up a successful private practice. And so I thought a few people I know are offering this coaching and someone said, oh, you should do it. And I was like, oh, yeah, fine. But then I thought, no, I feel like I've had enough coaching at this point now over three years. Like, there's a coach. I think, I think I can do this because I'm just telling like this is, you know, what, what do you want to do? How do you want to do it? Who's your ideal client? This has been drummed into me yep. over and over again. What's your niche? Exactly. I can pass this on. And I can, mm. you know, it's not like I'm saying, oh, yeah, I can tell you how to write good copy, but I know people who can. So it's like, this is where you can find out about it, or this is someone who can train you to do it, or this is someone you can pay to do it for you. There's lots of levels. So it feels like I, I've met enough, you know, cool people who can help them do this stuff. So I, you know, I'm not saying yeah. I have all the answers. I'm not saying I'm some amazing coach, but actually, I think where the where the sort of the two intersect is that counselling is more how do you feel and coaching seems to be more practical and like you said forward facing. Yeah, so I wouldn't call myself a general coach, but I think it does step out of the realms of therapy when you're telling someone practically how to do something. Um, and so, yes, I dare I dare call it coaching. God damn it, I do. Yeah, do it. Yeah. That's so interesting, isn't it? And such a shame that that's what counsellors are told kind of you'll never make any money I just think it's that whole thing where you're and and I've seen this so much in the world of coaching as well of people go oh well I can't I just feel bad for charging so I won't charge it's like you you know bills to pay roof to keep over your your own head and 
you wouldn't dream of going into another business, would you? You wouldn't go to a solicitor's and say, oh, do you mind not charging me for this? Or do you see what I mean? No. You, you, wouldn't, no. you wouldn't dream of doing that because no. you would accept that, that, that there is a fee, there is a profession and there is a fee to be paid. Ridiculous. Yeah. But it costs, it must have cost me altogether about 40 grand to train. Wow. Well, some all the therapy, therapy for 10 years. That's that's a lot of money. It was worth it. If I never counseled another person again, uh, my mental health is, you know, touch wood in excellent condition. But I did spend a long time after I started to feel better waiting for the other shoe to drop, waiting to go back to the way things were. But so far, no, so far it's okay. That's what I was going to ask you, because I was saying to you before we started recording, I've been watching Couples Therapy on BBC Two, which <laughs> this this podcast will go out in kind of May. So I'm presuming it'll still be on the iPlayer, but um, it's fascinating. But the therapist, I can't remember her name, she goes to see her supervisor and uh, to kind of talk through the clients. Um, so I guess my question to you is like, what do you do when, you know, you help others to stop feeling so negative, flat, depressed, whatever. What do you do when you're feeling a bit flat or a bit low? Well, I do have a supervisor, but that's more of like a legal obligation. She just makes sure that I'm operating ethically. And and if I've got any, you know, clients who I'm worried about, which again, very rare, but, you know, just to kind of get another perspective. But um, I don't know. I go, I, I walk my dog in the woods. I love that. That makes me feel better. But actually mainly when I haven't got my kids, I just turn Netflix on and snuggle up on the sofa with the dog. I like I go into down mode, just like zoom. It's like yeah. sort of power up mode. So yeah, I'm quite a I, I don't really go out much. I'm quite of an introvert. So I, I love to speak to people. Like when I'm on holiday, New Year's Eve, it was really sad actually. I'd taken like 10 days off. And by New Year's Eve, I didn't have any plans, didn't want to go anywhere. It was my perfect New Year's Eve. But someone messaged me and said, What are you doing? And I'm like, I'm in my work inbox. And they're like, Ali, that's awful. I'm like, kind of miss my clients I want to see you um but I was genuinely just like I, I I like downtime and I like what I do so I spend a lot of time reading sort of mental health kind of stuff and that's the thing when you spend a lot of time in a mental health zone you can't really help but do the things you tell people to do so if I notice that I'm angry, I'm telling a lot of time telling people to tune into their feelings because your feelings fuck I've told you this your feelings are trying to tell you stuff mm. even like the really difficult ones they're trying to tell you stuff so listen to them for god's sake so when I notice like I'm really anxious or I'm really angry I was kind of go like oh I'm really anxious why am I anxious why am I interested? <laughs> is it this oh, I don't know but I spend a long time just noticing so yeah I don't let it build up it's like feelings are like bills you know if you let them build up they're not going to go away they just sit there so I open them and file them, not in real life. Obviously, I just leave them. But um, but my feelings build. I mm. open those and I spend time with them. And so I find that they, they just don't really accumulate. If I'm anxious, think about why I'm anxious. And I remind myself, bad shit will happen. And then you'll deal with it. Mm. And I go back to sleep. So I just spend it. If I'm tired, it sounds really basic, doesn't it? If I'm tired, I sleep. If I'm peopled out, I don't see people. My my main solution to life is, is Netflix and pugs. That's 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 <laughs> Netflix and pugs. Forget Netflix and chill. Netflix and pugs. But you know, you know, when you said about the healthy, the like losing weight or healthy eating, whatever you said, because I was, I say to my husband, oh, I saw this new plan or this new thing that you should do. And he goes, Laura, I'm just going to say to you, eat less and exercise more. And I always say to him, start with your newfangled theories, because obviously we all know that, but we're looking for this magical solution or this new yeah. new trend that's going to help us when in reality if we just it took it back to the basics and actually every time you go on a diet 
all you're doing is reinforcing your bad relationship with food. Mm. If you can be brave enough to just let it go and accept that you will put on weight before you lose it because your body's used to going up, down, up, mm. down, famine feast, famine feast, that actually you're just going to have to leave it alone, eat when you're hungry and notice when, you know, let yourself eat as much chocolate as you need to. And then you will start really slowly. I'm in that process myself, really slowly, just kind of going, actually, I don't need that. Because the more you restrict, it's just human nature. The more you restrict, the more you want to think. Yeah, definitely. Like the Victorians used to be scandalised by ankles, but we see ankles every day. What what men are just kind of like, what seems about ankles? Nobody. But back then it was scandalous. The more you say, you can't see that, you can't have that, you can't eat that. Hey, look at that bony ankle. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh my God, look at that ankle. I'm slaving. Like, yeah, page, page three girls with their ankles. Woo. And it's whatever you restrict, you will yeah. hunger for. And actually... It's a dumb idea, but certainly, yes, you know, eat right and exercise. Eat right is, is a controversial one. It's working out what that is, but mm. that's all we need to do. And you don't mm. even, you can eat right and exercise and still be fat. I'm very fat. I go running. It's fine. You can be fit and fat. The two things go together. You don't have to be skinny to be lovable. You don't have to be skinny to be fit, although it is easier on the joints if you're a bit. Or skinny to be successful. You can be whatever you want. And if you act, like that, other people will, you know, you set the tone. So if you go yeah, to yeah, situation supplicant and like, oh, I don't think you're going to like this, you're setting yourself up for that. Whereas if you kind of go in and act like you matter, brackets, you do, people are going to take their lead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So Not true. Everyone. Not everyone. So Some true. Some people won't like that. They'll shoot you down anyway. But yeah. that's shoot back. <laughs> it's fine. So I was going to, I was going to finish our our conversation with. Um, <laughs> some words, what I'm calling a little lift, some words at the end, but I think you've just given it to me already. So the answer to everything is Netflix and pugs. Yes, Netflix and pugs. <laughs> Netflix and pugs. I think that's what I'm going to call the episode. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Ali, I've loved chatting to you. I've missed you. It's uh, so nice to talk to you. So where can, so we'd have somebody listening who's going, oh my God, I need to talk to Ali because she's, I like her energy or a tone or I'm neurodivergent and I want, you know, that, or maybe I'm a counsellor and people are telling me I'll never make any money. So where can people find you? Well, if this is coming out in May, then by now, hopefully you can go and investigate my Whizbang new website. I hope it whizzes and bangs. That's the plan. Because currently it looks like I made it myself when I was nine. But right. um, yes. <laughs> so if you're looking at it now, forgive the website. There's the website, which is aliharristherapy.com. I've got a Facebook page of the same name. I'm on Instagram, not loads, but I am there. And then there's the uh, the group as well. But um, yeah, so you can you can find me there and just click on the bit that says get in touch and you fill in a form and then we'll have that free chat, which is up to an hour, chat about whatever you want, very low pressure. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time, Ali. I've loved it. Oh, thanks chat. for having me. I was like, yay, as I thought you said, you know, can anyone come and do this? And I'm like, me, and I thought you'd go, maybe not. But you said yes. No, oh. it's an honor. It's lovely. Oh. Thank you so much. Cool. No problem. Thank you. You have been listening to the Your Dream or Mind podcast with Laura Cruz. If you enjoyed it, could you do me a favour? Please leave a review. A five-star one would be perfect. And subscribe. This helps other listeners to find the podcast much more easily. Oh, and don't forget to come and find me on social media. The links are in the show notes. 
I would love to help you to transition into your own dream life. It's what I'm really good at. See you next time, my fellow dreamer.